First of all, hello to all of you who just subscribed. This is so funny and exciting. It's funny and exciting because I remember I have another YouTube channel called Yuppie Problems and I've got just over like almost 3,000 subscribers there, which I know is not a lot, but I only know like two people in my whole life. So for me, that's a lot. It's just so funny. Like I remember when that channel had 30 subscribers. This channel has almost 30 subscribers and it's just really funny to like remember that and everybody's saying why did you start a new YouTube channel when you have the other one that's monetized and you're actually like making money off of the other one and the answer is because I'm passionate about this stuff I'm passionate about music and I'm passionate about history and I just moved to Nashville Tennessee if you live in Nashville definitely subscribe because I am talking about all of the landmarks in Nashville it's a legend if it's an artist, if it's a story behind a song. So I hope that you subscribe. I try to post at least once a week, like a music Monday, but sometimes, you know, that doesn't happen, but we do our best. CMA Fest is next week. The history behind the CMA Music Festival is a really rich and fun history. CMA Fest originally began as fanfare and I am actually kind of sad that it is not fanfare anymore because fanfare looked so fun. Not that it's not a total blast now. I kind of think that they should go back to fanfare after looking at all of the pictures and all of the logistics of how fanfare was ran versus how CMA Fest is run. But let me know your thoughts at the end of the video if you agree with me or disagree with me that we should go back to fanfare. Fanfare originally began in 1972. If you think about it, that was after the Opry had several years at the Ryman Auditorium performing and really building up a country music base. And if you haven't seen my video about the history of the Ryman Auditorium and the Grand Ole Opry, go ahead and check it out because there are some misconceptions about the birthplace of the Grand Ole Opry. The, the Ryman was not the birthplace of the Grand Ole Opry, but it was home to the Grand Ole Opry for about 40 years. But the Grand Ole Opry actually started at a couple of different locations before landing on the Ryman. The Ryman Auditorium was actually originally a church. So it's a very interesting history for the Ryman Auditorium. Go ahead and check out that video if you have not seen it. It's a, here or here, I don't know where it's gonna be, but I'll definitely put it in the description box below the link to that video as well. But 1972 was a really big time for country music and for music as a whole. I mean, look at James Taylor. He released Fire and Rain, I think it was 1969 or 1970. I'm not remembering off the top of my head. You guys can come after me in the comments, people always do. Please give me a little bit of grace before you yell at me in the comments about a wrong date or something. I do all of these videos by memory, so if I mess something up or misspeak about something, like, please correct me and say, oh, you misspoke, but don't be mean about it. 1971 to 1972 was also around the time that the Swampers left Rick Hall in Muscle Shoals, but that's also when they were releasing a lot of really, really good music of Muscle Shoals sounds. And if you haven't seen my video about Muscle Shoals and the history of Rick Hall, that is another good one. And so is Leonard Skinner, and Leonard Skinner was also in its heyday in 1972. So I think that it kind of makes sense that the universe brought the Fanfare Festival to fruition in 1972. There was a lot of momentum around music during that time. It originally started actually in 
in early April. The first fanfare festival, country music fanfare festival, kind of a mouthful, began April 12th through April 15th. If you're an accountant, like I was for about nine years, that is right during year-end audit season and tax season. Also, kids are still in school in April. There was a big turnout in April, but it wasn't as big as they thought it could have been. In 1973, they actually moved the dates from early April to June. The kids are on summer vacation, and plus, that's kind of when like the corporate world slows down too. All of your taxes are done. I think that was definitely a really good call. Some people say they started fanfare because they wanted to deter people from going to this radio concert festival that happened in the fall, that there were too many people going to that one. So they wanted to split up the festivals and have fans come to this festival so that people who were more focused in the music industry could go to the radio festival. I personally don't really think that that's true. I don't know that that's really why they started it. I personally think that it was just a really great opportunity for record labels to show off their artists because originally when the Fanfare Music Festival started, it was put on by the recording labels. The record labels would say, we have this artist and this artist and this artist. Maybe they want to do a mix of a really popular artist next to somebody who is more up and coming. The record label would decide which artists in their label would perform. If the fans knew the artist, then they would come and have a meet and greet to be able to get their autograph and this and that. But if they also had an up and coming artist, then it gave the fans an opportunity to see the new music that the record label was about to put out. And I personally think that that was really the main motivation and why they called it fanfare because it was so focused on the fans being able to meet the artists. Over the years, a lot of fans who went to this festival have come back as artists themselves. Kelsey Ballerini is a perfect example of this. She went to Fanfare as a fan to see Keith Urban and she came back as an actual artist as we all know and her and Keith Urban are actually from the same small town so they have a really cute thing going on. Now that the Country Music Awards have been going on for 50 years, 5-0. You are for sure seeing the generation of fans coming forward as the artists themselves, which is so, so exciting. The inaugural event was four days long, featured over 20 hours of live performances and 100 exhibit booths. So people could come up to the booth and get an autograph and meet the artists that they love, etc. The Tennessean online has a bunch of really cool photos from the very first year of the fanfare and you can see Dolly Parton taking pictures with a fan and you can also see Dolly performing with Porter. And during this time, the fanfare was actually held at the Municipal Auditorium in Nashville, which is not to be confused with the Ryman Auditorium. This was a different location. But because they drew 5,000 people, they thought, wow, you know what? This is a lot of people and we think that this is a little bit bigger than the municipal auditorium can handle. So the following year, they actually moved the dates from, from early April to June and they also decided to move the location to the Nashville fairgrounds. And this is why I wish that this was still at the fairgrounds. I think if it were at the fairgrounds, it would just be so, so much fun. I saw Sarah Evans at the Iowa State Fairgrounds. It's such a different vibe to watch music at a fairground. That's why I wish they still did that. There's a whole list of artists who performed in the 70s at the fanfare. I will link that in the description down below. But I mean, Minnie Pearl, Buck Owens, 1977. On June 8th of 1982, 
Ricky Skaggs performed in front of 15,000 people. And they knew that crowds were just growing and growing and growing every single year. So they knew that keeping it at the fairgrounds was probably their best course of action. And that's where it stayed up through the 90s. George Jones performed multiple times at Fanfare. George Jones wrote the song No Show Jones. If you don't know the story of the real No Show Jones, go ahead. I need to like turn you because the sun is setting. Go ahead and check out my video on the history of the Ryman Auditorium. It was originally built by Tom Ryman and a man named Sam Jones. And I won't go into the whole story about No Show Jones and Sam Jones, but if you want to know the story, go ahead and watch that video on the Ryman Auditorium. I'll put the link in the timestamp where I begin the story about No Show Jones, but George Jones wrote that and George Jones has been to multiple fanfares had been to multiple fanfares. Vince Gill performed in 1991 with George Jones. Then you get into 1995 and you've got Shania Twain and Keith Urban. Tammy Wynette and George Jones came back in the middle to late 90s and they did a duet together, which was just fantastic. I'll put the link to that in the description down below as well. I have to remember everything that I'm saying I'm gonna put a link to. In 2001, they decided things are going really well, but instead of having this festival over a four day period during the week, they decided to switch it up and do it over a long weekend for the very first time. In 2001, they also decided to break up the festival. So not all of the shows would be at the fairgrounds. They had it at the Nissan Stadium, the Nashville Convention Center, Bridgestone Arena, and Riverfront Park. And also in 2001, they must have brought in like new management or somebody because they made a few changes and the other change that they made was that the record labels would no longer be the people in charge of which artists were performing and how long they were performing and what the lineup would be. You know, it just, I think, worked really well having the record labels do that, but for whatever reason in 2001, they decided to break it up and that they would take all of the power away from the record labels and put all of that power into the record distribution groups. So you only had Sony and three other record distribution groups that were in charge of deciding which artists would play and for how long and what the lineup would be. Which honestly, even to this day, I think that the festival would be a little richer if it was the record labels deciding which artists go because who knows them better than the label itself. You know, the all the distribution group does is distribute it. I think that the record label should have that power. I think they should be the ones making that decision and I think it should be at the fairground and that's my personal opinion. But continuing on, then in 2003, the announcement comes that they are no longer going to call it fanfare. People were dramatic about this. I think the reason that people were so dramatic and so upset was because they had made the decision to change the name from Fanfare to the Country Music Association Music Festival right after 2001 when they had made all of these other structural changes. You know, people were used to Fanfare being put on by the record labels. The record labels had the power to decide who was there and how long they were gonna sing and it was at the fairgrounds, and so people would dress up to go to fairgrounds. Like, it's fun to dress up for a fairground. It's a different dress up and different experience than going to the Nissan Stadium. Like, no offense to the Nissan Stadium. The Nissan Stadium and like Bridgestone Arena, these are just very like, 
metropolitan feeling venues and the fairgrounds were very down to earth and i think that the real upset of the name changing was not just specifically about them changing the name but about them changing the whole experience of the festival really truly people were very very upset and people were literally wearing hats that were a gravestone that said rest in peace fanfare festival <laughs> like they were like it's over our lives are over even though i never went to fanfare myself I wish it was still fanfare. I wish that it was still a festival at fairgrounds called fanfare. I don't know. And I wish the record labels were the ones putting the artists on. That following year, ABC, the network ABC, decided to put on a two-hour live event called CMA Music Festival Country Music's Night to Rock. This is how people recognize the CMAs now. Like when you see it on TV, if you live in the north or on the east coast or even the west coast, and you see, oh, the CMAs are on tonight. Think that the CMAs really are just one, you know, two-hour event that happens just one night. It's the Country Music Association Music Festival that is a four-day long event in Nashville, Tennessee, taking place at four or five different venues throughout town, which originally should have been, should still be a fairground at the fair, I'm so mad, <laughs> like I'm mad about it. Since 2004, and even I think still today, they use the fairgrounds as a campground for people who come to visit the festival. You can come and you can camp in the fairgrounds that it used to happen in, I, I think. Don't quote me on that, that might not be the case this year. And then in 2005, Trisha Yearwood shows up to the CMAs with an engagement ring from Garth Brooks. And that is all anybody talked about then for the next like two or three years was Trisha Yearwood's marriage to Garth Brooks. After Trisha Yearwood showed up with that engagement ring and the whole Garth Brooks marriage thing happened, it really felt like people just dropped the whole fanfare fiasco and were really more focused again on the artists and the music. I think even now, now that it's 2022, you might not have even known that it used to be called fanfare and that it used to be at the fairgrounds. In 2007, the music festival hit an all-time record high for number of fans attending. It had over 191 thousand people 400 celebrities showed up 2007 was the hottest year for the music festival in 2007 there were also over 100 hours of live music and live concerts where if you think back to the 80s there was 30 or 40 hours of live music and now it's a hundred hours so today you can still get four day passes for the country music association's music festival and it is primarily held at Nissan Stadium in Nashville, Tennessee, which is right downtown and right by all of the honky-tonks. It draws a huge number of people every single year. I think that this year they're estimating 50,000. I'm excited that Cole Swindell is going to be one of the main acts. Cole Swindell and Luke Bryan, by the way, have a really funny relationship. Cole Swindell went to school with Luke Bryan. He was always like bugging Luke Bryan and Luke Bryan's band. Luke Bryan actually jokes that Cole Swindell was like coming up and bugging them and bugging them. Oh, are you playing in Nashville? Are you playing in Nashville? Can I come see you? I think it's so cool. And Luke was like, we kind of were like avoiding him because he was kind of annoying. But then after a while, Cole like became their friend and really grew on them. Luke ultimately got Cole Swindell a job in Nashville, Tennessee, and is the reason that Cole Swindell even moved here in the first place. He got Cole Swindell a job as a merchandise manager, I think it was, or merchandise marketing. I think it was merchandise manager in Nashville for his Luke Bryan band. 
And Cole Swindell was so excited. He just came and like sold Luke Bryan's merchandise. Like he just loved the vibe of Nashville and just loved music. And now look at him. He is one of the main acts at the music festival. If you haven't seen Luke Bryan's Dirt Road Diary, it's kind of long. It's like several episodes, but I did do a video that is like a 10 minute synopsis of the documentary and I try to hit all of the high points which are actually really low points. I had no idea that Luke Bryan's life was so full of loss and sadness. He's such a happy guy like he is always smiling and dancing and so full of life. I was literally crying through like the whole Dirt Road Diary. So if you haven't seen it go ahead and check out my 10 minute synopsis video because I just kind of summarize it and I think it's a little bit easier to watch than the entire documentary itself. And let me know if you are planning on going to the Country Music Association's music festival this year or if you're just gonna try to watch it on your television set. Either way, it's going to be a really fun time and it's probably even more fun now that you know the history behind it. And if you like these videos, don't forget to hit the subscribe button and the thumbs up button. It really helps out, like I said, even just to have one extra subscriber or one extra thumbs up. Okay, bye! Hungry for the road all my life Thirsty for adventure all my youth Chasing all my